Um, but I think a lot of it is because people are pushing hair to a point where it shouldn't be pushed sometimes. Um, they are overlapping lightener over permanent color that results in really muddy color. Uh, they are trying to deposit vivid colors on top of hair that hasn't been lit in enough. Maybe they aren't toning. Got it. Um, but I'm really excited about this, and so we better start okay. before I talk myself deep into a hole. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Shop Talk podcast brought to you by 124Go. I'm your co-host, Chris Suleiman. And as usual, sitting here with my great friend, Mr. John Palmieri. And we, um, obviously, you can hear the adrenaline. Mm -hmm. We have an extraordinary guest uh, this morning, somebody that neither of us have ever met or, mm -hmm. or, or spoken with like this, but we're about to. In the real life? In real life, yeah. but um, but we heard of, actually on another podcast on Hair Distry, mm -hmm. Corey and Tony were interviewing her, mm -hmm. um, as well as Pink Pewter, and uh, got, I listened to this story and got really inspired and reached out, and um, Jordan reached back out to us and said, yeah, I'll, I'll sit with you guys. So we're here this morning with Miss Pinup Jordan, as you're known on Instagram, um, but Jordan... And Jordan, I've never said your last name either. This is like a thing for me now. <laughs> I have a lot of last names. I've been married a couple times. <laughs> so um, my last name is, well, my maiden name is Glindmeyer, and that's usually what I go by professionally, but my married last name is Yanatis. Like, you're not as smart as you think you are. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> well, awesome. So, so we're here with Jordan, and, you know, I just, I guess I want to open and just by saying, uh, you know, I was able to hear your story a little bit and, and it was inspirational for me because I think, um, as, as the listener gets to kind of hear and we'll, we'll ask and let you tell it, you know, you came into the industry a little bit differently than a lot of people come into the industry. Um, and you've got, you know, a little bit of a different background. And I think that background, if I, if I had to take a guess has really played to your success, um, and helps you to help people out a lot. And, you know, we, we've just noticed by doing as many of these as we have. And then since you don't know anything about John and I, we work inside of a company with 150 hairdressers, six salons, a cosmetology school. Um, and what I've gotten to know is, is that we come into this industry all kinds of different ways. And no matter how we get here, what I kind of pulled out of your story is like, once you got into this, you landed and you like, you found a home, Yeah, for sure. you know? For sure. And so, um, so, you know, just as we're getting into this, I know the listener probably already knows who you are through your Instagram. If not, you know, take a look at like now, as you're listening to this podcast, you know, take a look at Jordan's work on Instagram at pinup Jordan. But, um, John, why don't you lead us out and, uh, let's get the show on the road. Um, for the, everybody who listens to this podcast, my favorite place to start out is always with how you got into this industry. So obviously, Chris alluded to your story and um, how that happened. But hairdressing, how did this happen? How did you choose this path? Okay, so um, basically, I, I always loved art my entire life. I've been really into hair and makeup ever since I was really little, like third grade. I think I colored my hair with Kool-Aid for the first time. And um the teachers at school made fun of me and called me Barney the Dinosaur because it was purple. <laughs> and, uh, you know, back when you're in third grade, that, that is probably the greatest insult anyone could ever deliver to you. So I think it's very funny now that I have like an entire rainbow and I, you know, I probably make more money than that teacher ever did. Like, you know, it's just, it's just such a good story. Um, but basically, you know, my dreams for a career as I got older were definitely financial stability and consistency. I wanted respect. I wanted to be in a very intellectual career. So I actually chose to go uh, the route of, you know, law school. Mm -hmm. I went, uh, when I was in high school, I started taking some, some classes and I just really found a lot of passion and purpose in helping people. And so I thought, you know, I want to be a district attorney. I want to go to law school. So mm -hmm. I have a bachelor's degree in criminal law with a minor in philosophy. And, uh, I was all set to start, um, law school. And then I was, you know, bartending at the time and kind of realized it wasn't my dream anymore and got through the first year and then said, you know what, this isn't for me. And how can I help people without, you know, emptying my cup? 
because of course being in a field like law and especially with what I wanted to do and my dreams for that meant a lot of like draining energy very a lot of sad heavy things kind of only ever really being able to react to crimes but not really being able to stop them and save people so it started to kind of drain me and I realized maybe this isn't how I'm supposed to help people um, and then uh, a Paul Mitchell school opened up in my city and it was beautiful and brand new. And it just brought a different level of respect, I think, to the cosmetology industry locally. Uh, for the first time, you kind of saw more high-end uh, hair school, more high-end hair in general, a professional brand associated with it. And I knew I wanted to be a part of that. So after that, I decided I was going to go to Paul Mitchell and I just kind of found my place and I was 23 years old at the time which in beauty school is old <laughs> everyone else there was 17 you're mama bear I was old I was married like I said I'm married at the time to my first husband and so I just I was an old lady and mm. but as a result I took it very seriously and, and you know I I hated to, to say that I didn't think that hairstylists were smart but I didn't realize how difficult this is and so i sort of made this vow to myself that i i was going to be you know quote unquote just a hairstylist mm -hmm. that i was going to be the smartest most driven um multifaceted person that i could possibly be so you know i took it as a challenge to say I'm, i really want to help change the perception of what being a stylist is i'm um, not just for the clients but even for other young people like me that maybe wanted to go into this but didn't have the support of people that saw this as a trade so um, going to Paul Mitchell really helped me do that and then I sort of fell into vivids early on in beauty school and realized that I love color and that I'm an artist and I was I've kind of found my niche there so yeah I, I had one career in mind and and kind of followed a dream to something totally different but for sure it's kind of gone in tandem with each other to make my hair career very successful. You know, I want to touch base on this a little bit because you kind of brought it up. You said that originally when you were choosing a career path, you wanted something that had respect. You wanted something that had financial stability. You wanted something that was intellectual, you know. And I think the sad part is, is our industry isn't always viewed that way, right? Um, and when you think about law, well, that kind of ticks all those boxes, or at least we think it does, right? And obviously that you, you know, saw this brand new shiny building in town, the Paul Mitchell building, and saw this elevation of hair. But that's still a bridge to cross, you know, to cross this idea of, you know, law being intellectual and financially rewarding and, you know, respectful. And crossing this bridge to a, a very artistic career where those adjectives probably aren't used very often. Was it just a shiny building, or what else was happening in your mind at that time? <laughs> to, be honest, to be honest, I've always been a really quirky kid, and I didn't have, I'm like fully tattooed, but I didn't even have a single tattoo when I started beauty school. I had blonde hair. I think I had maybe like a little stud in my nose, my nose ring. And Perfect. I just realized that, like, of course it was the shiny new buildings and, and the beautiful people that were going to school there because their hair was so cool and makeup and everything. But I, I think that I just, I saw it for what it was and for what it could be. And not to say that it was me that could change the industry, but I knew that, you know, like I said, if you're gonna just be a hairstylist, that it wasn't hard to be the best one in a mall salon. You know, it wasn't hard to be the smartest one at school when you just cared a little bit more than everyone else. Right. And I think that's kind of how you, you develop your success as as a working stylist behind the chair is that passion mm -hmm. so i just saw that passion that i i have for a lot of things i'm a very passionate person so when i get a fire lit under my ass i i really go for what it is that i want and so again not that i thought that i could change the industry but i knew it wouldn't hurt to have me be a little cog in that wheel yeah. and and with hair it's so deeply rooted in in science and in um chemicals and hair history and every single client is different so I just realized when to stop putting that in a box where it wasn't intellectual and start seeing how intellectual it could be so yeah I just found this passion for like let's change people's minds a little bit even if it's on a very small scale even if it's just the people in my chair I was ready to change people's minds about how they felt about hair hairstylists and the whole experience mm -hmm. right I like what you said there because um and I'll, I'll paraphrase now, 
It's like if I just cared a little bit more. Yeah. And we we talk a lot about that really often. And lately I find myself saying a lot when I'm working with either students or, you know, on the podcast or whatever. Um, it's actually now there's there's a journey that you have to go through to get good. So let's sure. let's let's get that out in the open. And sure. that that part isn't always easy. So right. so let me let me not make it sound like I'm stepping over that. But okay. once once you have a skill set, if if you'll just try to do a few things differently on a very regular basis yeah. and put some effort and energy behind it, it's kind of open. Yeah. It's kind of open and there's so many people not doing it. Mm-hmm that it's when when a when a guest meets you know when a person i'm going to say mm. a person meets you out on the street right you're obviously in the business of hair in some way right you're you're interested in it mm. i don't even have to have your personal style mm. to be affected by that mm. attracted to it and mm. interested enough to go Oh, you're, and then you can, you, that's, you know, there's the heavy lifting's done. You're in a conversation. Um, and it's, it's, it's become really more apparent to me how few people are willing to just do a little more, do, do step outside of their comfort zone a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, there's a, a great book. It was a, a bunch of years back. Uh, Michael Gordon, I think one of the founders of Bumble and Bumble. Mm-hmm put out a book called Hair Heroes. Did you ever see it? And you know what? You reminded me of that book and, and what you said. I just had to do a little bit more. I just had a little bit more. And what I loved about that book, it was just full of people who just did a little bit more and just did a little bit more. But that book was so impactful to me because it really raised the bar for what being a real professional industry in this industry was or is. Because the, if you read the background stories of all the people that were in that book, what they went through, what they learned, their influences, and they went well beyond you know seeing their mom's haircut. You know, it was Bauhaus design. It was the great architects of the world. It was the great fashion designers of the world. And to see all that come together and, and hair is a part of that makes you realize that you're, you're part of a much bigger, much bigger, uh, a much bigger experience than you know you are. And so you know, thanks for reminding us of all that. Oh, of course, my pleasure. And I think also if I can encourage anyone else to sort of, you know, push themselves um, with that, I, I think that it's really hard, especially with social media right now, to see what other people are doing and yeah. to imagine how do you do a little bit more than someone who's already seems to be doing so much. Right. Um, but I think that it's all about, you know, that little bit more is, is very literal. It's very every day do something so small every day i would come up with goals for myself like today i'm going to hand out five business cards even if that meant i went to target and accidentally dropped some on the floor and left them there you know it's it's, you have to just do a little bit more every day and so there were definitely times where i got discouraged and didn't understand how i was going to make a great impact in the industry but really doing that those little little things every single day and not getting discouraged when they don't work right away those are like the, the big things, I think, right there. If I could leave anybody with anything on that, thinking like you can't do enough, you can do enough, but you have to be very consistent and keep it up even when the world is kind of like showing you negativity and, and just sort of keep going with it because keep doing that a little bit more when everyone else kind of gives up and that's what's important. Yeah, you know, we had a, a great podcast the other day with John Rawson, uh, the photographer, mm-hmm. um, who's, you know, done a lot of work for a lot of NAHA winners and just a great conversation. But w- one of the things we got out of that conversation was he enjoyed, there was always this fear of some, I shouldn't say fear, there was just always this little bit of uncomfortableness that came with knowing who was going to come in his studio next because he knew where they were in the hair world. Mm-hmm. But it was matched, unbeknownst by him, by their concern about going into his studio because they knew how good he was. That's a good point. And and what was awesome about the conversation was both people were pushing themselves to a higher level, right? Exactly. And it wasn't a sense of competition because they were actually working 
with each it, other. It was fear. Yeah. <laughs> they were both a little freaked They're out. They're all a little freaked out. I'm going to go work with John Rawson. I've got to up my game, you know. Fear and is I, one hell of an inspiring motivator, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you're not doing one thing every day that scares you just a little, you're not doing enough. And and fear will scare the shit out of you to do better. So, yeah, they stepped it up so, because they had to. So, for I, I'm going to paint the world with a wide brush here, but... Talk about that a little bit. How do you go, and maybe this is something you can speak of to yourself, how do you go from fear being the tool that drives you to take you someplace you've never been before and fear that holds you back? And Because that's the challenge, right? Fear is either that thing that holds you back and you never move forward, or fear is that thing that lights, as you said, lights a fire into my ass and I want to, you know, I want to get moving. What is that intellectual, emotional... If you could speak on that for a minute, how do people help themselves cross that that bridge? Absolutely. I think a lot of it has to do with like self-doubt and, and lacking confidence. And, you know, Presley Poe, I'm not, I'm not sure if you're aware of her, but yep. I really love Presley. I think she's an incredible artist. Um, she's very intelligent and she's worked for every single thing that she has. And one year at the Behind the Chair Awards, she had accepted the award and kind of spoke about this. And it's always sat in my mind um, where she said, you know, don't let Instagram put you down, let it inspire you. Use it as a tool instead of showing you that you're not good enough, use it as something to show you how you could do it better. And I think a lot of it has to, you have to have confidence in yourself to believe that you could you can do it. Um, and sometimes a lot of it is that fake it till you make it mentality. Um, but you're as good as you tell people you are. And so when I go on Instagram, there are, there are always going to be people that I look at that I'm like, oh my God, I will never be able to do color like Christina Cheeseman. That girl blows my mind with what she's capable of. And I'm very proud of the work that I do. And I, and I, and I still look to other people and get inspired by them. And of course, I still get discouraged because I, I don't know how to do it. But I think you don't have to do what they're doing. You can be inspired by what they're doing. And then when it's not exactly the same, don't take that as a failure, but say, okay, now I'm ready to put my own twist on things. I'm not meant to do it exactly that way. I'm meant to do it the Jordan way. So mm -hmm. I can be inspired by Christina Cheeseman's style without letting it put me down. Because if I try and it's not exactly the same, I didn't fail. I did it the way that I'm supposed to do it because I'm a different artist. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it takes a lot of uh, fighting that inner, inner dialogue of negativity. Like um, I, one of my dreams was to win this hair contest for years and years. And for six years, I entered this hair contest every single <laughs> year. And the company knew who I was and I had done work with the company, but I never won that hair contest no matter how hard I tried. And, my, and I never even placed. And my heart was broken. And so I looked to uh, Guy Tang and I spoke to Guy Tang about it. And one of the things he said to me was, if the door doesn't open, it's not your door. Your door. And, and, and I just, it made me realize that as much as I might have wanted that, that wasn't for me. And that's okay because other things were for me. And ultimately, I never, like I said, I never ended up winning that contest. But I ended up getting a job with that company maybe a year and a half later that paid me a great amount of money and didn't give me the restrictions that winning that contest would have given me. So it's interesting because at the time, I think I felt like um, I, had, I had lost out and I didn't achieve my dream. But with a lot of patience and hard work and time, my dream changed because I was patient and it wasn't my door. So I think a lot of times when people are trying to look for that motivation and inspiration and not competition, just remember, it's not necessarily your door, but it doesn't mean you should stop trying to open other ones. Um, uh, there's a lot of... I do a lot of little meditative readings and different things. And it seems like everything that's popping up lately um, topic wise is around um, the journey uh, being, being the goal. You know, the journey is the goal, not the goal. The journey is the goal and the process, you know, the process. And like, you just don't know. And if you look back, there's so many times in most of our lives where there's proof that, wow, if I didn't go through this and I would have never uh, done that, if this person didn't dump me, you know, and I was heartbroken, I would have never met this person, you know, like there's all these things and you can't see it when it's there, but it's, it's, it's 
to lead back to the first part of the discussion, that's those are the times where you have to kind of put one foot, you know, one pant leg on at a time, buckle your belt up, and then go back at it. Even though yesterday you feel like you got scorched, you know. I mean, this, you know, entering that competition the sixth time. I'm guessing there was a little pressure there. And yet, you know, you decided to do it anyway. I, my belief is most people quit after, you know, most people. Now, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people that don't. Um, so I don't want to discount that. But but most people quit after the first time. They go, oh, I entered it. It's too hard. They want you to pay all these fees. And it's it's just for money anyway. You know, they're just trying to make Talk money. Talk yourself like out of it. Yeah, there's yeah. so many, you know, there's all these kinds of reasons. Um, I'm proud of you for doing that, by the way, just so you know that. Um, I also hear, I don't want to let this go too far and me forget. I hear you have a, you're expecting. I am. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. One's a little nugget coming. I'm due in June, June 28th. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. I honestly, I'm 32 and this is my husband and myself. It's our first child. So it's really exciting because hair has been my baby for so long. And, uh, now I get to kind of. You know, of course, still do hair, but this is definitely another dream of mine. So I'm very excited about that. <laughs> well, congratulations once again. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I saw the post on Instagram and I was like, oh, wow. And we were, you know, I think it was yesterday. Mm -hmm. or, or yeah. Saturday. So I was like, this is so perfect. We're interviewing her tomorrow. Yep, yep. Uh, so, Surprise! I'm, so I'm going to assume you're usually glowing, but you but you are glowing. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Um, so I did something I've never done before, and if, if you don't if you don't like it, we can edit this and you can scold me for it. But um, I wrote down four things. Do I look were, like your mother? Do I remind uh, you of your mom? Sometimes? You, can, you might scold me. I you know, yeah. don't just because we're recording, don't act like that doesn't happen. <laughs> ah, um, ah. Uh, so I wrote down four topics as you were talking, and I feel like we maybe just touched on the first one. The first topic was getting started. You know, I think somebody does look at somebody like you or, you know, so, uh, you know, another perceived person who and they go, I don't e I haven't even started yet. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm still in hair school. Right. Um, you know, and, and what comes with getting started? The second one I wrote down was fashion color. Um, and obviously, you know, I mean, by the way, your your hair color and I, I know, you know, but if you have never seen Jordan's hair color before, this is one of the most beautiful rainbow color melts i've ever seen on it in all honesty this is as we say in massachusetts mint yeah um the, the the third thing i wrote down was social media and the fourth thing i wrote down was salon ownership so it was getting started fashion color social media salon ownership what's the part i'm going to scold you on um what well, well, i'd love for somebody here to pick a topic and maybe ah. we can run with it what ah. do you think we'll play a game. got it Sure. Well, I, honestly, I think they're all actually really tied in together. So I'll kind of start off with getting started and um, fashion colors, because I think that right now, especially, um, again, like I said, I've been doing fashion colors in my own hair with Kool-Aid since third grade. Right. And Manic Panic has been around for 40 years or 30 yeah. years. So this is nothing new to the industry. But I think with, again, the level of um, complexity that the industry is kind of going in, right. we are changing how we're doing fashion colors and trying to bring more respect to something that doesn't always, you know, people call it clown hair. So it's, it's or have called it clown hair. So it's something that we are trying to change a little. So first of all, getting into the industry, um, I think the whole dress for the job you want, not the job you have is very right. cliche, but it's very true. Um, not a lot of people are going to want to go to a hairstylist that doesn't look like they have good hair. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is, is that a lot of hairstylists don't do their own hair, but as long as it's done and it looks good, people will trust you to do theirs. Right. So even with my hair, like I do my own color, but my hair, they're tape and extensions. So essentially my hair is only pink into purple. Um, these are 22 inch long extensions are from Donabella. Yeah. Um, so it all blends and everything, but I'm able, I am able to do my own color um, yeah. as a result of having extensions. So I think that when people see my hair, um, of course that's part of it, like looking a certain way, but I think you also have to have an outgoing enough nature to be able to follow up on that conversation. So usually people will come up to me in public and say, oh my God, I love your hair. And then the following questions are usually, 
Did it take a long time? Was it expensive? And where did you go? So I, you know, I'll kind of answer their questions. I'm very honest. Yes, it was expensive. Yes, it took a long time. Mm -hmm. And then I, and then I'll usually try to compliment them and say, who does your hair? Um, and, and of course I'm genuine about it. I wouldn't compliment something that's not real, but I'll say, oh, I love your root color or I love your haircut. And then sometimes they're self-conscious and they'll say, oh, you know, I, well, I go to my mom's friend. I've been going for 20 years. And really, like having a business card is something that is highly underrated, I think, in our industry. Yeah. Um, and, and they make so many cute ones now that you can have things that aren't plain white. So when I have these interactions with people and they're just naturally complimenting me and I'm able to say, who does your hair? Um, you know, I'll hand them my card and say, oh, well, I'm actually a stylist. My name is Jordan. If you have an Instagram, here's my card. And I'm not poaching them from another stylist. I just want to show them my work. Right. And then they usually will reach out to me. So I think in terms of like growing your business, again, looking the way that you would want to present yourself to a client, um, having business cards on you all the time and not being afraid to hand them out and, and engage with people. Because ultimately, if you can't talk to them for five minutes, you're not going to be able to sit down with them for eight hours while you do a rainbow on their head. Right. So part of it is kind of putting yourself out there, making sure you, you look like the stylist you might want to have. Um, and, uh, not being afraid, I think, to just engage with people. So that's a big part of like spreading your brand and, and also like, of course, posting on social media. So when they go on there, they have a good variety of, does she do blondes? Does she do cutting? Does he cut hair? Does he perm hair? You know, it's showcase your work on that. And they, they don't have to be, and I, I'm asking, but I mean, I, I have a, I have a stance on this. They don't have to be trying to be an influencer to have some beautiful work. I was never trying to be an influencer. I'm still not. <laughs> right. Honestly, I my main goal, I, I started posting before and afters on Instagram. And I don't want to say before it was something cool. that people oh, did, but it yeah. really was. And there were no stylists in my area that were on Instagram. So quite frankly, it, it was like a huge monopoly when I, when I started posting. It was like right. within six months, I had to close my client list because... I couldn't take on any more people. And yep. that's when I eventually opened up a salon was to be able to say, well, I, I don't have time to do your hair, but I have six other people who can. Right. And those people made me money. So yeah, I, I still don't care about being an influencer. I make way more money doing hair. Um, with influencer work, you get free products sometimes. A lot of companies don't want to pay up. So I think the attention seems really appealing when it comes to being an influencer, but ultimately you have to be a real stylist behind the chair to actually make it as an influencer, I think too. When, you know, when you talk about, you know, this path that you've chosen with the um, hair color that you have, the creative coloring, one of the things you you brought up was, we used to call it clown hair, right? Um, and I think that people like yourself, and we, we podcasted with some other great folks, Ruby Divine, the Platinum Giraffe, um, and when I see that the color that you you guys are doing, it's not clown hair yeah, anymore. It's, it's, you know, it's a whole, and I don't want to exaggerate, but I will because I can. Um, it's at a whole nother level. I mean. It's a true art form now. Yeah. yeah that's I look not at, an exaggeration. Yeah, I just looked at, uh, again, I was flipping through your uh, Instagram while we're sitting here. That's hair color that anybody can wear, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And, and they should be. I mean, a lot of our clients... You know, the people that can have rainbow hair typically are not, they're not working in super professional careers. They yeah. are younger. They don't have a ton of money. Yeah. Um, so it, it, a lot of it has to be wearable. And to be honest, a lot of my clients that have these full crazy colors were people that started off with a little streak. Yeah. So yeah. it doesn't even have to be a whole head. You just got to talk them into one little piece. <laughs> Hey, John, man, we just found out about something really cool in one of our last podcast conversations. Um, we found out about something called Salon Scale, and Salon Scale is a company, it's an app that basically helps you figure out your color um, costs in with your services. And so um, it's an app that you use that comes with a scale. And um, one salon owner that we know after implementing Salon Scale, after a year, realized that she'd saved $40,000 that went to her bottom line. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things that's good for salons as well as um, independent stylists. And so on this particular podcast, they've offered a discount to our listeners. 
And so um, talk to us about that. Yeah, they, um, Salon Scale has offered us as a listener to the podcast at 124Go 30 days free. So your first 30 days, no charge. And you'll also get a free scale. Awesome. So they send you the scale, yeah. which is amazing. Um, and then if you decide to do the deal, they also are offering 25% off of a Lux Pass. And what a Lux Pass does is they basically do the full setup for you. So um, the setup is relatively easy, but with the Lux Pass, they would take care of that for you. And apparently they've got about 200 different color brands uploaded already in the app. So really pretty easy to use. They've kind of done all the thinking for you um, behind the scenes. So anyway, you can check them out on Instagram at SalonScale, um, salonscale.com. And then in the show notes, there will be a, uh, a link that you can click that'll take you to it and you can get your, um, get your 30 days free and uh, 25% off the Lux Pass with the free uh, scale. So I witnessed the cutest thing yesterday. I was sitting in Starbucks doing some work. I witnessed two crazy things in Starbucks yesterday. Um, but but this uh, there was a, an Asian girl sitting with a group of girls, and she had beautiful blue hair. I mean, it was electric blue. And I, cu- I couldn't, I just can't stop staring when I see really cool hair like that. Now, nothing happened. I just, you know, kind of, but this, so then this little girl walks in with her parents her, and her little brother, mm-hmm. and she had a few blue streaks in her hair. And immediately they like locked up. <laughs> well, the little girl locked eyes with the girl with the blue hair. Yeah. And she, you could tell she was going to go over and say <laughs> hi to her crony. Like that was it. And she walked over and she's like, hi. And the, you know, the other yeah. girl was so gracious. Oh my God. Hi. I love your hair. Yeah. And it was like, it was the coolest thing, yeah. you know. Because in about another three years, her head's going to be not a yeah. couple of strands. It's all going to be blue. But yeah. you could just see she felt a part of, like. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's, I'm sorry. It's, it's exciting for me to see that, too, because for a long time, when the Vivid thing first became really, really mainstream, there were a lot of other salon owners in the area kind of talking negatively about my work and saying, well, I don't know what she's going to do when this trend fades. And <laughs> I think, first of all, in order to be able to do vivid hair, you have to have a very extensive knowledge of bonding, toning, corrective coloring. So that's besides the point. I'm a well-rounded stylist in addition to doing vivids, but it brings me hope when I see the younger generation kind of still doing this because I'm like, well, I don't think it's going to fade out. Right. It might evolve. It'll yeah, certainly right. change. But that's my next client. You know, that little girl is going to be in my chair in 10 years when she's got her first job and wants her full head of vivid hair. So, you know, it's exciting to see that, like, my job was never really threatened anyway, I think. But it's really just job security. And when we see when I see little girls in public, it's like we're a secret club. I'm like, yeah, girl. (laughs) Yeah. 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 it It was cool to watch. Um, so talk a lot, do you, you teach fashion color as well? Obviously at least in your, and then outside in the world. Yeah. So, um, I first started off. So when I started doing vivid hair, I, my client was the first one to kind of call it mermaid hair. And this was before anyone really called it mermaid hair. It was like maybe seven years ago. So, um, my first classes that I started to teach, uh, I had a lot of students reaching out to me and, and stylists reaching out to me, wanting to know, how do you do this color? I'm like, well, it's a little bit to explain. So I decided to hold my first class, Mermaking 101. And um, so we did that. That was like maybe three years ago. And that class sold out. And it was really great and very intense. And, you know, we touched on everything from point A to point Z, basically. Mm -hmm. And so that was really awesome to be able to teach stylists. I never really had an interest in teaching cosmetology school because they weren't as educated and I think this was more advanced techniques and um, for people that had a basic understanding so I really had passion in that um, and I really enjoy teaching those classes um, and then you know I've had people ask me to do like one-on-one education it's really hard to like explain to a to a stylist though in just one day um, I think more than anything the education that I prefer to do is to have assistants in the salon and have them with me side by side every day um, where we're going through like real scenarios with real clients who have box color and layers of bad lightning and bands and stuff. So I actually, I love the hard stuff. Like the worse the color correction is, the better. Bring it to me. I love a challenge. I love feeling like there's something that there's no way that I can do. I love 
feeling the magic of the color wheel and just it blows my mind so I like to educate because I like to be educated and I think that I'm still constantly learning so it's cool to kind of go through those discoveries as I go along and with someone else who didn't even know things were possible so yes I still educate I still do classes um I actually am doing a class in April with uh Haley K hair and she's a vivid braider so we'll be doing that in April coming up and but that's been my first class I've done otherwise in probably a year and a half so I'm excited for that awesome, awesome. what are some of the foundational parts and pieces that you see people maybe miss on when they're trying to you know create a fashion color or that's a great question um first of all I think that it's educating your client like doing a really thorough consultation um if you don't teach someone how to take care of fashion colors they're gonna think you did a bad job um you have to my clients only wash their hair maybe once a week they only use professional shampoo they use as cold of water as they can stand they don't go swimming they don't go in the sun it is a lifestyle change to maintain <laughs> this kind of color. Yeah. I'm like a little rainbow tea bag. I'm not going in a pool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lifestyle change. You have to educate your clients on how to take care of that. Um, you know, no hot or very, very little hot tools. Use heat protection. Um, if you can kind of get that understanding with your clients before even agreeing to do this kind of color on them, that's half the battle. The other half of the battle is making sure that you do your job as the professional um, to, first of all, don't push the integrity of the hair farther than it can go. You know, a lot of times I've heard people say to me, I love your hair. I always see colors like that and they look terrible, but yours looks so nice. And I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> um, but I think a lot of it is because people are pushing hair to a point where it shouldn't be pushed sometimes. Um, they are overlapping lightener over permanent color that results in really muddy color uh they are trying to deposit vivid colors on top of hair that hasn't been lightened enough maybe they aren't toning um for me really really starting to dig deep into um lightening hair color banding lightener banding corrective color a lot of these times i'm correcting the base before i'm even making them vivid so when you think about someone coming to you and saying make me platinum that's one job in and of itself so a lot of times when i want to deposit vivid colors over someone's hair i want it to be as white as possible so it's a very clean canvas um, that way the fade out looks really beautiful that way they embrace the fade um, and then sometimes people's hair just isn't in the position to get to that point so i think part of it is you know again educating the clients on how to maintain it and take care of it at home and embrace that fade. And then doing my job by not pushing it to the point of no return, lightening it properly, toning it first if it needs to be toned and just doing right by them and also pricing it where it's worth your time. Because I've also noticed that if I'm not making enough money off of a certain project, I find myself getting tired and cutting corners. Yeah. So as fun as these projects are in the end to show off, they are absolutely exhausting. They are not usually worth the money. Yeah. It is a, it is a, uh, love. Yeah. yeah, it's a labor of love for sure. So you just have to kind of understand those things before you get going and um, communicate them really effectively with your clients. And then I think you have a lot less problems and you kind of, you, you kind of de develop like a tribe of people that really understand this and like believe in you because they're like, I've had this color for 12 weeks and it looks amazing. Um, and then they kind of educate other people too. So it's like divide and conquer, you know, focus on your clients, use your social media to educate people otherwise and, uh, and do right by them in terms of your craft and your knowledge and your education and your products and their hair. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, <clears throat> so does that lead us to social media? I mean, are we, is there anything else you want to say around fashion colors? Um, no, I feel like we touched on, well, one thing I will say too, this sort of like touches on both fashion colors and social media. Um, a lot of people don't be afraid to mix your ingredients, I guess. Um, in the beginning, when I first started using fashion colors, I would only use Pravana on one project and I would only use Pulp Ride on one project and whatever. Um, and, you know, a lot of people don't post about other things because if you post a picture of something and you kind of mix lines, 
they're not going to pay much attention to you. Yeah. yeah, they don't care if it's not 100% their brand. Um, but, you know, as a professional, I know that I love the neon green from one line and I love the aquamarine from another line. And I know how good the magenta from this other line stays in the hair. So I think that not really being 100% committed to a particular line is really helpful. I know that's hard when you work in a commission-based salon where you're forced to use maybe one line or you can't use a certain line. Um, but I think in terms of social media and even like the general outcome of a project, use what's best for you, use what's best for the client, what you have the most knowledge in, and, um, and don't worry so much about working for the companies as, as you are working for your clients because those are the ones that are. So let's talk about social. I, I love what you said, first of all, and this is something that when we sat down with Ruby and Sarai, we sat down with those two at the same time, and it was nice for us because they both said exactly what you just said. Is like, look, you know, our, my work is done in the salon, you know. Now, you can turn social into a business. That's another thing, right? But it's hard. It's really hard to manage both. I would assume. I and I'm not that guy. So I. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna assume that. Um, but they both said like, you know, there's a difference between posting to please other people and posting to grow a clientele. Mm -hmm. Coach me the way you would coach one of your newer team members in getting started with the intent of growing a building clientele. a clientele. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So like I said, I think it was a little bit easier for me, admittedly, in the beginning, because there wasn't another stylist in my area that was posting pictures. And everyone knows a hairstylist. Every single person already knows a hairstylist. Um, but they want to know how you're going to be different from the hairstylist they've already had. And the best way to do that isn't just to tell them, but to show them. Hmm. So I noticed that I would post a picture of a blonde and maybe one girl that liked that tone of blonde would message me. And then I would post a picture of a brunette or a haircut. And it was like little by little, people would see what they were looking for on their own heads um, off of what I was posting. So I think variety is really important. At this point now, I post a lot of vivids because that's what my followers want to see. And that's what I specialize in and do the most of. But I still do root retouches. I mean, they're my bread and butter clients. I'm still doing three or four at least a day on top of everything else. Um, so let people know that like, of course, you're, you do normal hair and you do simple projects. Um, but I think being active in terms of your, lo your local area is what's going to get you local clients. I'm very privileged now that I do have clients that will drive long distances and even fly in for their hair appointments. But you know, if you have a lot of followers and they're all over the country, that doesn't matter because they're not making you money. You're right. trying to make money as a hairstylist. So the way to do that is to get people that are local in your chair. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, first of all, I would look at my location. So again, I'm located in Schenectady, New York. So when I would post a picture. Uh, what's I your salon name, by the way? Tell us oh, your salon name. name. So um, my salon is Pamp Jordan's Mermaid Lounge. And um, it's... I actually opened up uh, salon studios. They're called the Creative Collective Artist Studios. And so I moved my salon into the studio space. But so actually I have two two businesses technically. Um, but yes, Pinup Jordan's Mermaid Lounge is, uh, is the mermaid hair aspect of things. Um, so I started hashtagging, you know, Schenectady. And there's only one Schenectady. <laughs> like, it's not just any. But I also live close to the capital of Albany. So I would do hashtag Schenectady. There's no need to do hashtag Schenectady NY because there's only one Schenectady. Right. But if I did hashtag Albany, there's Albany, Georgia, there's Albany, there's all kinds of Albany's. So I would do hashtag Albany, maybe hitting the Albany, New York demographic, but also possibly hitting the Georgia demographic for more followers. I would also do Albany NY to focus more specifically on that. Um, uh, in addition to hashtagging and doing the tag locations, when you click the hashtags connected in New York, everybody who posted that hashtag pops up on both um, the most recent and the top posts. So I would actually go, don't do, I don't bother with the top posts because they have a lot of likes, but I would go through the most recent posts and I would kind of look for young women, to be honest, because I'm like, they need their hair done. Right. <laughs> so I would go through the most recent photos and my town does have a good amount of colleges in it. 
So I would see young girls in groups with other friends of young girls. And so I'd click the picture and like it. Yep. And then I would click the tags in the picture and I would see Rebecca's friends, Sarah, Jenny, Michelle, and right. Carol. And so I would basically individually click their profiles and I would go like their most recent photo. Yep. And so before I knew it, I had groups of friends being like, hey, did you see this hairstylist? She happens to be local. So not only was I kind of spreading the buzz via social media, via friend groups, but then these clients would actually book together. So that way they could come in as like me and my best friend, get our hair done. Then I would be double booked, make double the money, and then they would continue to refer their friend groups. So I know it sounds kind of silly and it's like a little stalkerish. No, <laughs> I, I, I love, are you kidding me? Yeah, we're big fans. <laughs> yeah, of we're big, we're big really fans well. of this. Yeah. 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 Now and it's something else that I would always do too is like, especially when I was like young and like single, I would get all dolled up and I would go to a bar and I would sit at a bar with my stack of cards in my pocket and I would sit there with my schedule book and I would work. I would create Instagram posts for the week. I would um, send out reminder texts to my clients and I would just kind of hang out there. And ultimately other women would come up to me and be like, oh my God, I love your hair. And so it was just this opportunity for me in person where I knew I was sitting there for that intent and purpose of having these discussions with people and I would market myself one by one and then they would take my card and they would go on my Instagram and be like whoa this girl's got how many followers and yeah. I just met her in a box like people see that number as something very very great and I'm lucky that I got into social media like seven years ago when we were all kind of building this up but um you know so much of it is like interacting on social media not being afraid to have a physical thing to hand out um, because having that little card float around their purse, even if they don't look you up on Instagram in the bathroom in the next five minutes, maybe the next day they're rifling through their bag for their keys and they find that business card and want to look you up. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of strategic. I try to be genuine about it, but it is pretty strategic. And um, like I said, little things like we are a college town. So I had a friend who would give out coupons to local sororities for 15% off their balayage because all he wanted to do was balayage. So boom, you know, I was um, a bartender for 11 years. So I gave discounts to restaurant professionals because they can do daytime appointments, people. Right. It is the best. <laughs> All those days when you're so bored, look to your restaurant professionals and your baristas and don't be afraid to use models for that because even if you, even if you say to someone, I'll do your hair as a model, I'll charge you product cost. Charge them a hundred bucks for product, do whatever you want on their hair. And then when they want to maintain it, they're going to have to come back to you to pay for it. So it is very strategic without being manipulative, but there is a whole kind of practice to the game and, and playing your cards right. right. Yeah. Listen, awesome. at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is get them to come and sit in your chair. And your intention behind that is to give them the best hair to make mm -hmm. them feel and look their best. So there's Absolutely. nothing, there's nothing dirty about marketing yourself, you mm -hmm. know? And, yeah. uh, but, and, and I guess the, the thing that I like that you're sort of subtly pointing to, but mm -hmm. not actually going there is, that's the very thought that keeps people from doing what you're, what you're talking about mm -hmm. is the fear. I'm, I'm sleazy. If mm -hmm. I, you know, hand out a card or I, uh, or stalk, I mean, I, I love Instagram stalking people. So, you know, for me, it's to get people to talk on our podcast. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, you know, I, I, you, you and a few other that I was really proud of, like when Jack Martin got back to us, mm -hmm. I was like, are you yeah. joking me? Jack is going to, and, good one. Jack and yeah, you know, and he's such a great guy. Yeah, such we a nice we guy. always find that, you know, we have this, then we have this fantastic conversation and, mm -hmm. um, but you know, and then some people don't get back to you and whether that's, they got missed in your deep, but the point is it's a numbers game. And at the end of the day, you're not trying to get them to do something bad. You're, mm -hmm. you know, you're trying to get them to sit in your chair. You want mm -hmm. you want, you know, you want to serve them and take care of them. So that's awesome. Um, we, we are burning through time here. Mm -hmm. uh, I know I talk a lot. I mean this, no, this is like fantastic. Yeah. But we're really good at talking too. So totally, yeah. totally. No, you, but, and you've got us hanging on the edge of our, edge of our seats, I guess. Uh, do we have enough time to breach the salon ownership topic? Yeah, I'm down if you're down. Yeah. So you opened up your own salon how many years ago? Six? Is that what you said? So, so I opened up my own salon four years ago. Um, like I said, I started to, I had, I had worked in booth rental situations for a while. Um, I started getting really busy, couldn't take on any more people. And I was like, 
you know, again, it brought me back to that mindset of if I could care a little bit more. And then I thought, well, if I could teach other people that mindset to care a little bit more, then we can take care of so many other people together. Because again, of course, it's about making money, but my heart hurt for people that like couldn't get in my chair that really needed my help. Yeah. So I opened up the Mermaid Lounge and we had a staff of I think seven people at the time. And I was so proud and we were so busy and business just boomed right away. And we were in newspapers and magazines and winning awards and doing all sorts of things. And to be honest with you, I was not happy. Yeah. <laughs> I, it was too, I was too busy. I was doing, I was on the phone all the time. There was a lot of business work and a whole lot less of actually doing hair. Sure. So I think for me, salon ownership is a necessity because I don't want to work for anyone else. But um, I wasn't thrilled doing the whole salon ownership thing in the sense of I'm still an artist and I want to be with my clients and have a very intimate and personal relationship with them. Mm-hmm. So um, in April, I shut down the Mermaid Lounge and we moved locations. And I decided in our area, we actually don't have any salon suites. I had heard of them all across the country. But in our area, within at least 100 miles, there's not a salon suite in sight. So I was like, I surely can't be the only one that wants to work for myself, but doesn't want to pay booth rent to someone else. Or, you know, like studio rental allows you to have whatever music you want playing and wear what you want and come and go as you please and decorate your room however you want. So it was an opportunity for other people to grow their own little mini salons, essentially. So uh, in April, we closed down the Mermaid Lounge, and then I opened up uh, the Creative Collective Salon Studios in downtown Schenectady, which is like a very big arts district. Mm -hmm. So I moved the Mermaid Lounge there and took my assistant and a couple stylists with me, and then uh, rented out the rest of the rooms to other artists. And so that's kind of where we're at now, which has been great for me, because again, I still get to be the business owner and make all the rules and do what I want. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm, I'm technically now just a studio owner, and I can shut my door and the phone isn't ringing off the hook all the time anymore. And I get to really get back to the basics of what I'm passionate about with my clients. Mm-hmm. It's an so interesting, it's <laughs> yeah, it's well, and it's, it's an interesting thing because, you know, one of the things that we do is coach owners outside of here. And I think one of the most clear things that we say almost every day in a conversation at some point is being an owner and a hairdresser are very different jobs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's like, don't get the two confused. Right. And when you can really, I love what you did. Like you got real, you know, you're just, you, you like, you're breeding, you're, you're like sharing confidence through the screen here. I mean, mm-hmm. I know we're, but, but it's so hard for people, I think, to get real with themselves and mm-hmm. go, you know, I open these doors. I kind of, for some people, it would be to go work for somebody else. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. I don't even want to deal with the, the, any of it. I want to be able to show up, be a great hairdresser, right? not do another thing and walk out and the go door home. and go home. Yeah. For other people, it's a studio. For other people, it's opening up, you know, but getting real clear about being a salon owner is about managing a business, about mm-hmm. leading people, grow. It's a whole different, whole different ball of wax. Yeah. And, um, but I almost wonder too if, if there's almost like this thing in our industry where you're like, you feel like you have to, right? Right. It's uh, a, well, yeah. Like, I'm yeah. a really busy stylist. Success, you know, for a lot of people, they see it as like the pinnacle of success. Right. So, like, to, to reach that point and then decide it wasn't what I really thought I wanted anymore right. is interesting because I, I, for, for a second, I'm like, am I, did I fail? Like, well, crisis? Yeah. 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 Like, no, I didn't fail. I just, I achieved it and then decided it really wasn't for me. So, yeah. you know, um, this car, this obviously, this podcast is going way over time, but there's something else that I want to touch base on that you alluded to that you talked about before we started this, uh, this actual podcast, and that is your outreach to the community. And I think we'd be missing a big piece of you if we didn't talk about that. So is that okay? So uh, this kind of goes back to me from the beginning of this conversation when you talked about respect, when you talked about the intellectual journey, when you talked about being financially independent. And then here you are in this place where you have, this is my word, not yours, so please correct me, but there is a need or want on your part to want to return back to the community. Where, where's that coming from? Why is that important? Um, to be honest with you, I, you know, I, I came from a family where I was lucky in the sense that I had two parents, a mom and a dad. Um, and when I was growing up, 
that wasn't really the case for a lot of my peers. It was a lot of single family households. A lot of kids grew up with grandparents. Um, a lot of kids are latchkey kids where we live, where their parents work multiple jobs to be able to make ends meet. So there's not a lot of money here. Um, there is a good amount of gang activity, a lot of poverty, a lot of homelessness, things like that. So I was lucky enough that I grew up in a very working class household, but a lot of my best friends were people that struggled. And so I knew that I was lucky, I guess, and that I didn't necessarily owe anyone anything, but I felt like it, because I was privileged, it was my job to sort of give back, I guess, and to sort of encourage people. Um, and then as I became more successful, I realized the incredible opportunity that I had to inspire the people in my community. Because we all kind of came from the same world where um, you know, I had holes in the bottoms of my shoes because I was so poor when I first started doing hair that I, I had these like fake Uggs and I would have to like <laughs> put plastic um, shopping bags on my feet and like tie them on my feet before I put my feet in my shoes because I was so poor that snow would get in and I couldn't afford another pair of shoes. Right. And so, you know, coming from that reality where now I'm a six-figure stylist. I mean, if I can do it, anybody can do it. And, I, and I've heard other people say that, and, and I've thought, no, you have something else that I don't have, or you have opportunities that I didn't have. And, you know, I, like I said, I didn't come from money. I, I didn't have anyone to help me. Every single thing that I've had has been a result of busting my butt behind the chair. Everything I have is hair money. It's, you know, it's, it's come from root retouch after trim, after kids cut. And so, I just realized that, again, not everyone has this internal passion to want more and do better. Um, but if I could inspire the people that were around me to realize that they had that potential too, then we could all be better. Mm -hmm. And so part of it was wanting to help them. Part of it was wanting to help my whole community and realizing that, again, I'm not going to be this huge change, but I can chip away person by person and, and help empower other people. So. In my community, like I said, I, I'm encouraging them to have confidence for things that they love, but I'm also really passionate about our industry. I think that hair people are some of the most incredible, empathetic, passionate people. And I try to talk everyone <laughs> into going into hair school all the time for that reason. You get a lot of takes. So, oh yeah, I should get like a commission from Paul Mitchell at this point now. <laughs> um, That's awesome. but really i just i found my tribe of people being a hairstylist and the just the compassion and the passion in general i just i'm passionate about my community because i think like i said we all have the potential to to be up here if we all do that a little bit more all the time no matter what your industry is but especially if it's hair to care about other people and to deliver a better result and just to care just a little bit more. And, and it's baby steps, but that's how you get there. And so I love my community. Uh, they've put a lot of money into revitalizing it over the last like 10 years. So I think the, the attitude coming with it is really important. So that way we can live up to the, the best that we can be here. That's awesome. Yep. That's awesome. Dude, this has been such a great conversation. Yeah, my pleasure. I enjoyed it. I mean, what are some of your takeaways from this? There's just so much. Man, here. It's, yeah, it's it's so much is even funny. Um, you know, I, I'm going to go back to what you almost kind of ended with, which is this is a great community, right? Um, the hairdressing community as a whole. And, you know, one of the reasons I got to be working a consulting part of our business, which is, you know, part of my part of my past is working with salon owners who struggled so hard to do the right thing by themselves, the right things by their family, the right things for their employees. And, you know, that that knowledge isn't there, that education isn't there, that respect isn't there. And that's a really, I think, a really kind of hard hurdle to overcome when half of the world's kind of poo-pooing you and you're doing the best you can to overcome all that to, su to support so many other people in your life. Um, so to hear your story is very inspirational because in the end, we are, we are a family. We are an amazing industry. And it's folks like yourself, like in that Hair Heroes book that I talked about earlier, where you get to look at, you know what, as you said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more gets you over that hurdle and helps so many people. So thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. So Jordan, uh, you know, knowing that our audience is cosmetology school students to new stylists, to seasoned stylists, to salon owners, 
um, and more. Anything uh, you feel like we're leaving on the table in this conversation or anything you just want to share some closing thoughts? Um, no, I think at the end of this all, it just, it really matters about like how, as, as far as being a stylist goes, it's just to try to always be the stylist that you wish you had. Never underestimate the importance of what you were looking for before you had it and before you became that. Um, I was always looking for the stylist that I think I am now. And every day when I try to, when I sort of like lose sight of that, sometimes I try to remember about what it would be like to be my, my client for the very first time and then be as good as that very first appointment every time. And so I think that's just the way you can be the best for yourself and for your, for your own brand and your business. And, um, and that's it. Yeah. Thank that's beautiful. That. Thank you very much. Every time we have one of these conversations, I walk away with a little bit more than I knew before I came in, and I love that about these podcasts. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, we also walk away with a lot of gratitude to our listeners. You know, we, we, we're watching those listens go up. We crossed the 20,000 mark just recently. Um, there, I, we, we hate to ask, but we know there's a few things we need to ask for. I don't hate asking. <laughs> Not even a little bit. Hey, for those of you who haven't heard me ask before, five-star reviews. You got the phone in your hand. It's down by your lap. I don't care where it is, but it's not that far away from you. Five-star reviews. You know you want to do it. You know you love this podcast. Share it with the world because every time you create a five-star review, an angel gets, gets his wings. <laughs> Did you know that? Yeah. And while that angel is getting his wings, it helps us move up. Um, you know, it helps us get more noticed in the podcast world, helps share the message. And if you're really being served by this, which we hope you are, um, you know, we'd love for you to share that with some other salon owners. The other thing we're going to ask you to do is to follow us on Instagram at 124.go, as well as Facebook. We're going to get more active on our Facebook page. And so if you're a Facebooker, then uh, follow us on Facebook at 124.go. And um, if you're a grammar, please tag us in your stories and we'll do the same uh, in hours. So thanks again for listening, everybody. We will see you on the next episode. Bye.